0: 20 chapters 25 through 30 of the city of god this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Darren l slider www.logoslibrary.org the city of god by saint augustine of hippo book 20 chapter 25 The prophet Malachi, or Malachias, who is also called Angel, and is by some, for Jerome tells us that this is the opinion of the Hebrews, identified with Ezra the priest, others of whose writings have been received into the canon, predicts the last judgment, saying, Behold, he cometh, saith the Lord Almighty, and who shall abide the day of his entrance? For I am the Lord your God, and I change not. From these words it more evidently appears that some shall, in the last judgment, suffer some kind of purgatorial punishments. For what else can be understood by the word, Who shall abide the day of his entrance, or who shall be able to look upon him? For he enters as a moulder's fire, and as the herb of fullers, and he shall sit fusing and purifying, as if over gold and silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and pour them out like gold and silver. Similarly, Isaiah says, The Lord shall wash the filthiness of the sons and daughters of Zion, and shall cleanse away the blood from their midst, by the spirit of judgment, and by the spirit of burning unless perhaps we should say that they are cleansed from filthiness and in a manner clarified when the wicked are separated from them by penal judgment so that the elimination and damnation of the one party is the purgation of the others because they shall henceforth live free from the contamination of such men But when he says, And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and pour them out like gold and silver, and they shall offer to the Lord sacrifices in righteousness, and the sacrifices of Judah and Jerusalem shall be pleasing to the Lord, he declares that those who shall be purified shall then please the Lord with sacrifices of righteousness, and consequently they themselves shall be purified from their own unrighteousness, which made them displeasing to God. Now they themselves, when they have been purified, shall be sacrifices of complete and perfect righteousness, for what more acceptable offering can such persons make to God than themselves? But this question of purgatorial punishments we must defer to another time, to give it a more adequate treatment. By the sons of Levi, and Judah, and Jerusalem, we ought to understand the church herself, gathered not from the Hebrews only, but from other nations as well nor such a church as she now is, when, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but, as she shall then be, purged by the last judgment as a threshing-floor by a winnowing wind, and those of her members who need it being cleansed by fire, so that there remains absolutely not one who offers sacrifice for his sins. For all who make such offerings are assuredly in their sins, for the remission of which they make offerings, that having made to God an acceptable offering, they may then be absolved. Chapter 26 And it was with the design of showing that his city shall not then follow this custom, that God said that the sons of Levi should offer sacrifices in righteousness, not, therefore, in sin, and consequently not for sin. And hence we see how vainly the Jews promised themselves a return of the old times, of sacrificing according to the law of the Old Testament, grounding on the words which follow, And the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem shall be pleasing to the Lord, as in the primitive days, and as in the former years. For in the times of the law they offered sacrifices not in righteousness, but in sins, offering especially and primarily for sins, so much so that even the priests himself, whom we must suppose to have been their most righteous man, was accustomed to offer, according to God's commandments, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. And therefore we must explain how we are to understand the words as in the primitive days and as in the former years, for perhaps he alludes to the time in which our first parents were in paradise. Then indeed, intact and pure from all stain and blemish of sin, they offered themselves to God as the purest sacrifices. But since they were banished thence on account of their transgression, and human nature was condemned in them with the exception of the one Mediator, and those who have been baptized, and are as yet infants, there is none clean from stain, not even the babe whose life has been but for a day upon the earth. But if it be replied that those who offer in faith may be said to offer in righteousness, because the righteous lives by faith, he deceives himself, however, if he says that he has no sin, and therefore he does not say so, because he lives by faith, will any man say this time of faith can be placed on an equal footing with that consummation when they who offer sacrifices in righteousness shall be purified by the fire of the last judgment? And consequently, since it must be believed that after such a cleansing the righteous shall retain no sin, assuredly that time, so far as regards its freedom from sin, can be compared to no other period unless to that during which our first parents lived in paradise in the most innocent happiness before their transgression. It is this period, then, which is properly understood when it is said, as in the primitive days and as in former years— For in Isaiah too, after the new heavens and the new earth have been promised, among other elements in the blessedness of the saints which are there depicted by allegories and figures, from giving an adequate explanation of which I am prevented by a desire to avoid prolixity, it is said, According to the days of the tree of life shall be the days of my people and who that has looked at scripture does not know where god planted the tree of life from whose fruit he excluded our first parents when their own iniquity ejected them from paradise and round which a terrible and fiery fence was set but if anyone contends that those days of the tree of life mentioned by the prophet Isaiah are the present times of the church of Christ, and that Christ himself is prophetically called the tree of life because he is wisdom, and of wisdom Solomon says, it is a tree of life to all who embrace it, and if they maintain that our first parents did not pass years in paradise, but were driven from it so soon that none of their children were begotten there, and that therefore that time cannot be alluded to, in words which run, as in the primitive days and as in former years, I forbear entering on this question, lest by discussing everything I become prolix, and leave the whole subject in uncertainty. For I see another meaning which should keep us from believing that a restoration of the primitive days and former years of the legal sacrifices could have been promised to us by the prophet as a great boon for the animals selected as victims under the old law were required to be immaculate and free from all blemish whatever and symbolized holy men free from all sin the only instance of which character was found in Christ. As, therefore, after the judgment those who are worthy of such purification shall be purified even by fire, and shall be rendered thoroughly sinless, and shall offer themselves to God in righteousness, and be indeed victims immaculate, and free from all blemish whatever, they shall then certainly be, as in the primitive days, and as in former years, when the purest victims were offered, the shadow of this future reality. For there shall then be in the body and soul of the saints the purity which was symbolized in the bodies of these victims. Then, with reference to those who are worthy not of cleansing but of damnation, he says, And I will draw near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against evil doers and against adulterers. And after enumerating other damnable crimes, he adds, For I am the Lord your God, and I am not changed it is as if he said Though your fault has changed you for the worse, and my grace has changed you for the better, I am not changed. And he says that he himself will be a witness, because in his judgment he needs no witnesses, and that he will be swift, either because he is to come suddenly, and the judgment which seemed to lag shall be very swift by his unexpected arrival, or because he will convince the consciences of men directly, and without any prolix harangue. For, as it is written, in the thoughts of the wicked his examination shall be conducted. And the apostle says, the thoughts accusing, or else excusing, in the day in which God shall judge the hidden things of men, according to my gospel in Jesus Christ. Thus then shall the Lord be a swift witness, when he shall suddenly bring back into the memory that which shall convince and punish the conscience. CHAPTER twenty-seven the passage also which i formerly quoted for another purpose from this prophet refers to the last judgment in which he says they shall be mine saith the lord almighty in the day in which i make up my gains c When this diversity between the rewards and punishments which distinguish the righteous from the wicked shall appear under that sun of righteousness in the brightness of life eternal, a diversity which is not discerned under this sun which shines on the vanity of this life, there shall then be such a judgment as has never before been. CHAPTER twenty-eight in the succeeding words remember the law of moses my servant which i commanded to him in horeb for all israel the prophet opportunely mentions precepts and statutes after declaring the important distinction hereafter to be made between those who observe and those who despise the law he intends also that they learn to interpret the law spiritually and find christ in it by whose judgment that separation between the good and the bad is to be made for it is not without reason that the lord himself says to the jews had ye believed moses ye would have believed me for he wrote of me For by receiving the law carnally, without perceiving that its earthly promises were figures of things spiritual, they fell into such murmurings as audaciously to say, It is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked suppliantly before the face of the Lord Almighty? And now we call aliens happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up. It was these words of theirs which in a manner compelled the prophet to announce the last judgment, in which the wicked shall not even in appearance be happy, but shall manifestly be most miserable, and in which the good shall be oppressed, with not even a transitory wretchedness, but shall enjoy unsullied and eternal felicity. For he had previously cited some similar expressions of those who said, Every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and such are pleasing to him. It was, I say, by understanding the law of Moses carnally that they had come to murmur thus against God and hence too the writer of the seventy-third psalm says that his feet were almost gone his steps had well-nigh slipped because he was envious of sinners while he considered their prosperity so that he said among other things how doth god know and is there knowledge in the most high and again have i sanctified my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency he goes on to say that his efforts to solve this most difficult problem, which arises when the good seem to be wretched, and the wicked happy, were in vain until he went into the sanctuary of God, and understood the last things. For in the last judgment things shall not be so, but in the manifest felicity of the righteous, and manifest misery of the wicked, quite another th- state of things shall appear. CHAPTER twenty-nine. After admonishing them to give heed to the law of Moses, as he foresaw that for a long time to come they would not understand it spiritually and rightly, he went on to say, And behold, I will send to you Elias the Tishbite before the great and signal day of the Lord come, and he shall turn the heart of the Father to the Son, and the heart of a man to his next of kin, lest I come and utterly smite the earth it is a familiar theme in the conversation and heart of the faithful that in the last days before the judgment the jews shall believe in the true christ that is our christ by means of this great and admirable prophet elias who shall expound the law to them for not without reason do we hope that before the coming of our judge and saviour elias shall come because we have good reason to believe that he is now alive for as scripture most distinctly informs us he was taken up from this life in a chariot of fire When, therefore, he is come, he shall give a spiritual explanation of the law which the Jews at present understand carnally, and shall thus turn the heart of the father to the son, that is, the heart of fathers to their children, for the Septuagint translators have frequently put the singular for the plural number. And the meaning is that the sons, that is, the Jews, shall understand the law as the fathers, that is, the prophets, and among them Moses himself understood it. For the heart of the fathers shall be turned to their children when the children understand the law as their fathers did, and the heart of the children shall be turned to their fathers when they have the same sentiments as the fathers. The Septuagint used the expression, and the heart of a man to his next of kin, because fathers and children are eminently neighbours to one another. Another and a preferable sense can be found in the words of the Septuagint translators, who have translated Scripture with an eye to prophecy, the sense, that is, that Elias shall turn the heart of God the Father to the Son, not certainly as if he should bring about this love of the Father for the Son, but meaning that he should make it known, and that the Jews also, who had previously hated, should then love the Son, who is our Christ." For so far as regards the Jews, God has his heart turned away from our Christ, this being their conception about God and Christ. But in their case the heart of God shall be turned to the Son, when they themselves shall turn in heart, and learn the love of the Father towards the Son. The words following, And the heart of a man to his next of kin, that is, Elias shall also turn the heart of a man to his next of kin, how can we understand this better than as the heart of a man to the man Christ? For though in the form of God he is our God, yet, taking the form of a servant, he condescended to become also our next of kin. It is this, then, which Elias will do, lest, he says, I come and smite the earth utterly for they who mind earthly things are the earth. Such are the carnal Jews until this day, and hence these murmurs of theirs against God, the wicked are pleasing to him, and it is a vain thing to serve God. CHAPTER Thirty there are many other passages of scripture bearing on the last judgment of god so many indeed that to cite them all would swell this book to an unpardonable size suffice it to have proved that both old and new testament announce the judgment But in the old it is not so definitely declared as in the new that the judgment shall be administered by Christ, that is, that Christ shall descend from heaven as the judge. For when it is therein stated by the Lord God or his prophet that the Lord God shall come, we do not necessarily understand this of Christ. For both the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are the Lord God. We must not, however, leave this without proof, And therefore we must first show how Jesus Christ speaks in the prophetical books under the title of the Lord God, while yet there can be no doubt that it is Jesus Christ who speaks, so that in other passages where this is not at once apparent, and where nevertheless it is said that the Lord God will come to that last judgment, we may understand that Jesus Christ is meant. There is a passage in the prophet Isaiah which illustrates what I mean. For God says by the prophet, Hear me, Jacob and Israel, whom I call. I am the first, and I am for ever, and my hand has founded the earth, and my right hand has established the heaven. I will call them, and they shall stand together, and be gathered, and hear. Who has declared to them these things? In love of thee I have done thy pleasure upon Babylon, that I might take away the seed of the Chaldeans. I have spoken, and I have called, I have brought him, and have made his way prosperous. Come ye near unto me, and hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. When they were made, there was I, and now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. It was himself who was speaking as the Lord God, and yet we should not have understood that it was Jesus Christ, had he not added, And now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. For he said this with reference to the form of a servant, speaking of a future event as if it were past, and in the same prophet we read, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, not he shall be led, but the past tense is used to express the future and prophecy constantly speaks in this way. There is also another passage in Zechariah which plainly declares that the Almighty sent the Almighty, and of what persons can this be understood but of God the Father and God the Son? For it is written, Thus saith the Lord Almighty, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye behold i will bring mine hand upon them and they shall be a spoil to their servants and ye shall know that the lord almighty hath sent me observe the lord almighty saith that the lord almighty sent him who can presume to understand these words of any other than christ who is speaking to the lost sheep of the house of israel for he says in the gospel i am not sent save to the lost sheep of the house of israel which he here compared to the pupil of god's eye to signify the profoundest love and to this class of sheep the apostles themselves belonged but after the glory, to wit, of his resurrection, for before it happened the evangelist said that Jesus was not yet glorified, he was sent unto the nations in the persons of his apostles, and thus the saying of the psalm was fulfilled, Thou wilt deliver me from the contradictions of the people, thou wilt set me as the head of the nations so that those who had spoiled the Israelites, and whom the Israelites had served when they were subdued by them, were not themselves to be spoiled in the same fashion, but were in their own persons to become the spoil of the Israelites. For this had been promised to the apostles when the Lord said, I will make you fishers of men. And to one of them he says, From henceforth thou shalt catch men. They were then to become a spoil, but in a good sense, as those who are snatched from that strong one when he is bound by a stronger. In like manner the Lord, speaking by the same prophet, says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and mercy. And they shall look upon me, because they have insulted me. And they shall mourn for him, as for one very dear, and shall be in bitterness, as for an only begotten. To whom but to God does it belong to destroy all the nations that are hostile to the holy city Jerusalem, which come against it, that is, are opposed to it, or, as some translate, come upon it, as if putting it down under them, or to pour out upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and mercy. This belongs doubtless to God, and it is to God the prophet ascribes the words. And yet Christ shows that he is the God who does these so great and divine things, when he goes on to say, And they shall look upon me because they have insulted me, and they shall mourn for him, as if for one very dear or beloved, and shall be in bitterness for him as for an only begotten. For in that day the Jews, those of them at least, who shall receive the spirit of grace and mercy, when they see him coming in his majesty, and recognize that it is he whom they, in the person of their parents, insulted when he came before in his humiliation, shall repent of insulting him in his passion, and their parents themselves, who were the perpetrators of this huge impiety, shall see him when they rise. But this will be only for their punishment, and not for their correction it is not of them we are to understand the words and i will pour upon the house of david and upon the inhabitants of jerusalem the spirit of grace and mercy and they shall look upon me because they have insulted me but we are to understand the words of their descendants who shall at that time believe through elias But as we say to the Jews, You killed Christ, although it was their parents who did so, so these persons shall grieve that they in some sort did what their progenitors did. Although, therefore, those that receive the spirit of mercy and grace, and believe, shall not be condemned with their impious parents, yet they shall mourn as if they themselves had done what their parents did. Their grief shall arise not so much from guilt as from pious affection certainly the words which the septuagint have translated they shall look upon me because they insulted me stand in the hebrew they shall look upon me whom they pierced and by this word the crucifixion of christ is certainly more plainly indicated But the Septuagint translators preferred to allude to the insult which was involved in his whole passion. For in point of fact they insulted him both when he was arrested, and when he was bound, when he was judged, when he was mocked by the robe they put on him, and the homage they did on bended knee, when he was crowned with thorns, and struck with a rod on the head, when he bore his cross, and when at last he hung upon the tree." and therefore we recognize more fully the Lord's passion when we do not confine ourselves to one interpretation, but combine both, and read both insulted and pierced when therefore we read in the prophetical books that god is to come to do judgment at the last from the mere mention of the judgment and although there is nothing else to determine the meaning we must gather that christ is meant for though the father will judge he will judge by the coming of the son for he himself by his own manifested presence judges no man but has committed all judgment to the son for as the son was judged as a man he shall also judge in human form for it is none but he of whom god speaks by isaiah under the name of jacob and israel of whose seed christ took a body as it is written jacob is my servant i will uphold him israel is mine elect my spirit has assumed him I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor cease, neither shall his voice be heard without. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench, but in truth shall he bring forth judgment. He shall shine, and shall not be broken, until he sets judgment in the earth, and the nations shall hope in his name. The Hebrew has not Jacob and Israel, but the Septuagint translators, wishing to show the significance of the expression, my servant, and that it refers to the form of a servant in which the Most High humbled himself, inserted the name of that man from whose stock he took the form of a servant. The Holy Spirit was given to him, and was manifested, as the evangelist testifies, in the form of a dove. He brought forth judgment to the Gentiles because he predicted what was hidden from them. In his meekness he did not cry, nor did he cease to proclaim the truth. But his voice was not heard, nor is it heard without, because he is not obeyed by those who are outside of his body and the jews themselves who persecuted him he did not break though as a bruised reed they had lost their integrity and as smoking flax their light was quenched for he spared them having come to be judged and not yet to judge he brought forth judgment in truth declaring that they should be punished did they persist in their wickedness his face shone on the mount his fame in the world He is not broken, nor overcome, because neither in himself nor in his church has persecution prevailed to annihilate him. And therefore that has not, and shall not, be brought about, which his enemies said, or say, When shall he die, and his name perish, until he set judgment in the earth behold the hidden thing which we were seeking is discovered for this is the last judgment which he will set in the earth when he comes from heaven and it is in him too we already see the concluding expression of the prophecy fulfilled in his name shall the nations hope And by this fulfilment, which no one can deny, men are encouraged to believe in that which is most impudently denied. For who could have hoped for that which even those who do not yet believe in Christ now see fulfilled among us, and which is so undeniable that they can but gnash their teeth and pine away? Who, I say, could have hoped that the nations would hope in the name of Christ when he was arrested, bound, scourged, mocked, crucified, when even the disciples themselves had lost the hope which they had begun to have in him? The hope which was then entertained scarcely by the one thief on the cross is now cherished by nations everywhere on the earth who are marked with the sign of the cross on which he died that they may not die eternally that the last judgment then shall be administered by jesus christ in the manner predicted in the sacred writings is denied or doubted by no one unless by those who through some incredible animosity or blindness decline to believe these writings though already their truth is demonstrated to all the world and at or in connection with that judgment the following events shall come to pass as we have learned Elias the Tishbite shall come, the Jews shall believe, Antichrist shall persecute, Christ shall judge, the dead shall rise, the good and the wicked shall be separated, the world shall be burned and renewed. All these things we believe shall come to pass, but how, or in what order, human understanding cannot perfectly teach us but only the experience of the events themselves, my opinion however is that they will happen in the order in which i have related them two books yet remain to be written by me in order to complete by god's help what i promised One of these will explain the punishment of the wicked, the other the happiness of the righteous, and in them I shall be at special pains to refute, by God's grace, the arguments by which some unhappy creatures seem to themselves to undermine the divine promises and threatenings, and to ridicule as empty words statements which are the most salutary nutriment of faith. But they who are instructed in divine things hold the truth and omnipotence of God to be the strongest arguments in favour of those things which, however incredible they seem to men, are yet contained in the Scriptures, whose truth has already in many ways been proved. For they are sure that God can in no wise lie, and that he can do what is impossible to the unbelieving. End of book twenty, chapters twenty five through thirty. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org.